Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. Are pastors above us? Are you and me just second-class citizens in the church? Let's talk about that coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles, and I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. And I want to welcome you to our discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. We are right in the middle of a very interesting study on the Church of Pergamum, which is one of the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now, last session, we talked about the first complaint that Jesus had with this church, that they tolerated those who taught the teachings of Balaam or the doctrines of Balaam. In other words, they had a group of people who taught that it was okay to be assimilated into an evil culture and to take on some of the bad things that their culture was doing so they could fit in more. That's what we call assimilation. And we talked about that last session. Well, today we're going to talk about the second thing that Jesus had a complaint with with this church. And that is that they tolerated some of those who taught the teachings of the Nicolaitans or taught the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus said he hated. Now, I'm going to pick up with uh, Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 14 and 15 again from a very literal translation so we can kind of get back in the swing of things and look at this second complaint that Jesus had with Pergamum. Revelation 2, starting verse 14, and this is from the New King James Version. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. That's the assimilation we were talking about, and we discussed that last session. Now for today, listen to verse 15. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, these are strong words that Jesus is saying to this church. Again, let me read it again. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So today, we're going to talk about the Nicolaitan philosophy and how it has affected the church for almost 2,000 years. Now, you remember us talking about this when we studied uh, uh, the first uh, church, the Church of Ephesus. Nicolaitans are a group of people that believed in clerical hierarchy. They believed that priests and preachers and pastors were above the regular people. The word literally means to conquer the laity. Y'all remember me talking about this, hopefully. And so that is what was going on here. There was a group of people that taught that the laity or the average people were down here in the church and priests and preachers were up here. And Jesus says he hates that teaching. This is in total conflict with what Jesus said. I want to read a passage in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, and it talks about this same philosophy. 
Matthew 23. Now I'm going to start at the beginning and read about seven verses. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of scriptures. So practice and obey what they say to you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. So first of all, Jesus is saying, look, you have these religious leaders here who are setting themselves up to rule over you. Be submissive, but don't practice their, what they're doing. Listen to what they're saying about the Bible and follow the Bible, but don't follow their example. Then he goes on. He says, everything they do is for show. In verse 5. Now let's get down to verse 7. This is where it really gets strong. They, Jesus says, referring to the Pharisees and all these religious leaders, they enjoy the attention they get on the streets, and they enjoy being called rabbi. Don't ever let anyone call you rabbi. Or today would say pastor. Don't let anyone call you pastor or bishop or whatever. For you are all, oh, excuse me, don't ever let anyone call you rabbi. For you only have one teacher and you are all on the same level as brothers and sisters. Did you get that? Don't let anyone ever call you rabbi. For you only have one teacher and you are all on the same level as brothers and sisters. So we should not call people pastors. And if you're a pastor, brother, you don't need to be allowing people to call you pastor. A pastor is a, a job function. It's not a title. And you should not be like the Pharisees were. Jesus hates this teaching. He said that in Revelation. And he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He said that to the church of Ephesus also. So here we are. We had a group of people that were setting themselves above the laity and saying, call me rabbi, or call me pastor. And he says, don't do that, because you're all equal as brothers and sisters. Now let's go on to what he says. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you master, for there's only one master, the Messiah. Now, understand, Jesus isn't saying you can't call your father dad or father. That's the human relationship. He's talking about religious leaders. He says, don't call anybody in the spiritual realm, in this religious circle, the church, in other words, don't call them your father because you only have one heavenly father, and that's the Lord God. And don't call them master because you only have one master, only one Lord, one boss. And that is Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about that. Only Jesus is our Lord, our boss. No human is. And there's, you know, there's times we've talked about this many times, and we talked about it when we went over through the uh, book of, I mean, the letter to uh, Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. But here it's showing up in Pergamum. But this time, instead of like the believers did in the church of Ephesus who fought against this false teaching, the believers here were accepting it. And during this time period, you can see what's going on. And they are beginning to say, well, you know, we're your leaders. You need to submit. And we're up here and you are down here. And that's just the way God had set things up. Well, that's not true. And Jesus, again, listen to what he says in the literal translation. This thing I hate, those 
Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So he hates this teaching. Now, what's interesting is if we look at this now from the historic perspective, and we see what the church was doing in the centuries of you know, 300, 400, and 500, during those years, those three centuries, the 300s, 400s, and 500s. Now, I, I don't want to go through this whole time period in detail because it's a lot of history. But I do have some dates here that I do want to go over. And uh, I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. But I want to tell you something. Once you get a feel for this period of history, you realize, yeah, the book of Revelation is very easy to interpret it if you know your history. If you didn't study history again in, in high school or in elementary school, then you're not, you're not going to get a lot of this. So I'm going to run over some of these dates pretty quick. But I want you to understand that once you understand history, you can see how this church in Pergamon is fitting right in to what happened in the church history during the, the centuries of the 300s, 400s, and 500s. Now, around 280, right there before the 300s started, right there at 280, the Bishop of Alexandria is referred to as Papas. Papas, which is the Greek word for father. It's where we get the word Pope from. So the first time this was being used to address bishops was over there now, uh, the Bishop of Alexandria, around 280, near the end of the you know, uh, 200s there, end of the third century. Now, later on, this evidently became popular. You know how things become popular in church circles and Christian circles. And by uh, 300, 304, the Bishop of Rome, whose name was Marcellinus, Marcellinus, he was also called Papas, or Father, where we, again, where we get the word Pope from. So right around the year 300, it became real common for bishops to allow people to call them Father. And this started spreading on down to other pastors or priests. They didn't call themselves priests yet, but they were allowing people to call them Father. And this is in direct conflict with what Jesus said. Keep that in mind. Jesus said, don't do this in Matthew 23. And yet this is what's going on in the 300s. Starts right at the turn of the century, around 300, 304, bishops were allowing it within the church. And this is the doctrine of Nicolaitans coming to flower. This is the doctrine of Nicolaitans saying, this person up here is in a higher level of the church than you, which Jesus totally hates. Pastors are not above people. The priests are not above people. Jesus says, no, we're all equal as brothers and sisters. There are no second-class citizens in the church. And yet, because, once again, the enemy is constantly trying to attack the church and affect the gospel, like we learned, that spiritual war, He's tempting more and more leaders during this time period of church history to set themselves up on a higher plane. So it first started around the year 300. About this time, Diocletian started uh, splitting up the Roman Empire because it was so big, and he ended up with what they call the Tetrarchy. Two main leaders called an Augustus. There was two Augusti. There was also two Caesars. And the Caesars would be the ones 
Each Augustus chose his Caesar, and that Caesar would succeed the Augustus eventually. So he set up the Tetrarchy. The Tetrarchy. Now, during this time period, a man named Constantine rose up in the ranks of the Tetrarchy, and he started getting involved in the Roman government in a big way. He was very uh, uh, successful. And the Civil War, what's called the Roman Civil War, started while he was rising up in the ranks, and he got involved in the Roman Civil War. And you know the story. Constantine, around 312 AD, maybe a little bit before, he gets this vision, and he says he had this vision, and that God told him to use this sign. In this sign, go conquer. And the sign was the uh, key row, two letters of the uh, Greek word Christos, the chi and the row. And it kind of looks like a, an X on top of a P. So you put a P there and an X over it. That's kind of what this sign looked like. And he used this sign on all his soldier shields. And he went and he was fighting in the battles of the Roman Civil War. Now, during this time, he was successful and started gaining power. In 313, uh, Constantine and another emperor called Licinius, they worked together, and in 313, they passed the Edict of Milan that legalized Christianity. Now, this was important. you got to understand what was going on. In times past, there was persecution going on for 200 years, right? The 100s and the 200s. But now, starting in the 300s, they legalized Christianity. They said it's okay to be a Christian. Now, as soon as they started doing that, people started getting uh, lazy in the church, and they started getting involved in more and more worldly things, okay? Eventually, uh, Constantine wins the Civil War. He becomes the sole emperor, and he promptly moves the uh, uh, empire's capital over to a, a town in Turkey called Byzantine, and later renamed it Constantinople. And he started in 325, he convened the Nicene Council. And so right now, the government starts getting involved in the church, and the church starts cozying up to the government. Before, they were all being persecuted for, you know, 300 years, 250 years at least. But now, they're getting all cozy into the government. Now, in the year 350 was the first time they had a feast to worship Mary as the mother of God. And this is important because they're saying Mary was, was the mother of Jesus, so that makes her the mother of God. Now, we're going to go into this more detail when we started studying the next church, but right now, just understand that happened in 350. So it's happening quick. All this false teaching is happening quick as soon as they start assimilating into the culture. In the year 366, Bishop Damascus, the Bishop of Rome, Damascus, the Bishop of Rome, uses the verse Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, hey, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to, upon this rock, I'm going to put my church. Because, you know, Jesus, de I mean, Peter declared that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus was referring to that statement. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. But they started perverting this and saying, no, he was referring to building the church on Peter. And all the Roman bishops started trying to say, hey, we're following in the authority of, of Peter. Now, during this time in 380, 
380, a big thing happens. Emperor Theodosius I makes Christianity the state religion. Now, see, Constantine and uh, uh, Licinius, they made it legal to be a Christian, so you didn't have to worry about persecution. But now, Theodosius goes one step further. He says it is the state religion. If you want to progress in the government jobs, if you want to be blessed by the government of Rome, if you want to be able to vote, you have to be a Christian. And that's one of the worst things that ever happened to the church. Now, all these people who were worshiping Bacchus and all these other false gods and all these idolaters, now all of a sudden are coming to the church and saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And they started bringing in with them all their pagan festivals. And so things started getting worse and worse. Just like we read about the Church of Pergamum. There was a group of people saying, oh, it's okay, let's just all assimilate. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar, you know, all that kind of stuff. Perverting scripture. And they were allowing the pagan culture to assimilate them. And the church herself was assimilating certain customs from the pagans. Now, at the turn of the century, around 400, okay, well, actually around 395, the empire permanently splits, and you have the, Ro the Western Empire based in Rome, and you have the Eastern Empire based in Constantinople. It was still considered all the Roman Empire, but it was split in two, the Western and the Eastern. Around the turn of the century, around 400 to 417, Bishop Innocent I decides all major religious cases, in other words, questions of doctrine, and how do we interpret this passage, all cases like that must be decided by the Bishop of Rome. So he's trying to say, look, the Bishop of Rome or the Papas of Rome, the Father of Rome, the Pope of Rome, must decide all the pertinent issues of Scripture. Now, of course, the patriarchs or the bishops of Constantinople, of the Eastern Empire, didn't like that. So now we're going to start fighting amongst each other in the church history. 411, more and more false teaching comes. Augustine, over there in the Eastern uh, Empire, he starts teaching that Christians should pray to uh, Christians, saints who have already died and gone to heaven, that we should start praying to them. Augustine taught that. Augustine also started teaching amillennialism, saying that the, the kingdom of Christ uh, during the day of the Lord is just a metaphor. It's not going to really be on earth. And so it's called amillennialism. And we'll talk about that some more as we get on into our study. He also taught predestination, saying that God chose who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And other, other false doctrines just came pouring out during this time. And Augustine was one of the main ones teaching it from the Eastern Empire. But the Western Empire was doing bad things too. Bishop Boniface I, around 420, states that the Roman bishop, and remember they're calling them Papas, the father, so the Roman father of the church is the universal, oh, let me back up. He, I got the quote here. He says it this way. He says that the Roman bishop is to the universal church as the head is the body. So around 420, the Pope of Rome, the, the Bishop of Rome, the Papas of Rome is saying, look, we are the ones that are head of the church. Just like the head is in control of the body, we are in control of the church. 432, 
the Roman emperor Theodosius II, he helps out the, uh, the bishop, and they have a, a church council, the Council of Ephesus, and they say, yes, you have to realize that Mary's the mother of God and she can be worshipped. And they actually condemned and excommunicated the patriarch of Constantinople, the bishop of Constantinople. His name was Nestorius. And they kicked him out of the church for not agreeing that Mary was the mother of God. And from this time point on, false teachings of like the Immaculate Conception. Now, don't get that confused with the virgin birth. The virgin birth is what the Bible teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin. But the Immaculate Conception teaches that Mary was born without sin nature, that she was born without sin in her heart so that she could be a pure vessel for the Son of God. That's a false doctrine called the Immaculate Conception. During this time period, the Assumption of Mary started being taught. And that was a, a false teaching that when Mary died, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, died, uh, she was just assumed up into heaven, body and soul. Now, also they emphasize that, yes, you can pray and should pray to Mary as intercessor for sinners. Because Mary, being the mother of Jesus, can get him to do what she wants her, what she wants him to do. Remember, like in the wedding of Cana, uh, his mother came up and says, Hey, they need some wine. And she kind of, you know, uh, encouraged Jesus to make some wine and help out the, the family. Well, Jesus did it out of respect to her, his earthly mother. But there's nothing in the Bible that says that Mary still has control over Jesus. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the head of the church, no one else. And all this started coming up because of this Nicolaitanism, the teachings of the Nicolaitans that said clerics or clergy were higher than the laity. And all this false doctrine starts coming, pouring into the church. Now, by 445, the Roman emperor, Valentinian III, orders churches all churches to obey the Pope of Rome, the Bishop or the Papas of Rome, the Father of Rome. 476, after he does that, Rome falls. The last emperor is kicked out, and the empire is ruled now solely from Constantinople. Uh, but the bishops were still fighting among each other, the, the Papas, the Fathers. And Jesus said, don't call, let anybody call you Father. But that's what they were doing. They set themselves up as the father of the church. And they still argue with each other, even after this time that Rome collapses. Now, let's go a little bit further. This is what happened. This is 476 when Rome fell. And that's all during the time period that we're studying of Pergamum, that this church Pergamum represents that time period in church history. But I want to go just a little bit further and extrapolate on into the future. In 1049... Uh, the Council of Reims, convened by Pope Leo IX, declared that the Pope of Rome is the head of the universal church. In 1204, the Fourth Crusade that was called for by Pope Innocent III ends up attacking Constantinople and that church, the leaders over there, and they sacked Constantinople. So now the church is fighting amongst itself like 
Rome used to do in the Civil War, the Roman Civil War. So now we have totally assimilated into the way the government was, and they can't tell the difference between the church or the government of the empire. They're all fighting each other. 1453, Constantinople uh, falls to the Ottoman Empire, and the age of the Muslims began in the Middle East. And then most recently, and this is shocking, 1962, the Second Vatican, the Second Vatican Council crowned Mary, the mother of Jesus. They crowned her and said, now she is mother of the church. Mother of the church. Now, that just shows you that during the centuries of 300, 400, and 500, that the church, when they were allowed peace, and they started assimilating into the culture, they opened up the doors to all kinds of heresy. I mean, it was back during this time period that they started worshiping Mary. And it just got worse and worse and worse as I read those dates. And they started teaching other false doctrines, predestination, amillennialism, that you should pray to different saints instead of to God. And so all this idolatry that was in the Roman culture was now fast and firmly growing in the church. All because Satan and his tactics got a Roman emperor in 380 to say, hey, this is the state religion. Everyone must be a Christian. Now, because of that worldliness just pouring in to the church, there was this compromise, and that's what Jesus was referring to. Not only was it going on when in John's day on a very much smaller scale, but as I showed you, this church fits in perfect with that historical panoramic view of the 300s, 400s, and 500s, those three centuries of how the church was being corrupted by the world. And that's why Jesus says, look, in verse 16, repent or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth or the Bible. You see, the only way to combat, to combat false teaching is with the scripture. That's why Christians today need to know the scripture. You need to know the Bible and you need to make sure you can explain it clearly to other people because there's so much false doctrine out there. Well, let's go on and let's conclude on this study today. Let's look at the reward that Christ gives to the victorious, the reward to the overcomers. Listen to it. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Everyone who is victorious will eat of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. So he's saying, look, one day, you know, y'all remember the story of manna. It came from heaven. It was the food uh, that came from heaven to feed the people of Israel in the wilderness. Uh, you know, I grew up and my grandma used to call it the food of angels. I don't know if it really was the food of angels. I don't know if anybody knows, but it came from heaven. And here Jesus is saying, look, if you overcome and you stay true to the true teachings of the church and don't get caught up in all this Nicolaitanism and all this uh, marriage of pagan rites into the church. 
If you stay pure with what the Bible teaches, you'll be in heaven because I'm the Lord of the church. I'm the head of the church, not the popes. I'm the head of the church, Jesus says, not Mary. And so if you follow Jesus and believe in Jesus as your Lord, one day you'll be in heaven. And it says that you will get to try some of that manna, evidently. It goes on and says this. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, what is this white stone? Well, in that culture, it was real common to do two things with white stones. And, and, and so we're not too sure exactly what it is, uh, but one way is it could be a stone of acquittal. When they were trying to vote if someone was guilty or not, like in a court case, the jurors, instead of saying it out loud, would put either a black stone or a white stone in. You've heard the expression blackballed, right? I've been blackballed by the organization. I could not get into the club. I was blackballed. Someone voted against me. Well, that's where this comes from. And so the white stone could represent God, you know, Jesus saying, look, you have been accepted into heaven. You have been declared righteous. Okay, it could be that. More, it could be something else. During this culture, there was also real common for uh, friends to give each other a gift, an engraving, a little piece of metal or sometimes a stone or a piece of wood that was engraved in a very beautiful way. And it was called a tessera. And you would give this person a tessera and it would have a special engraving on it. And close friends exchanged these gifts, these tesseras. And it was real common in the day. So this could be a tessera. And I kind of think that's maybe what Jesus was leaning to. He's giving us a white stone tessera. I think it's kind of both. He's saying, look, you are not blackballed. You had your sins taken away by me. You will never be ruled out of heaven. You are welcome into heaven. You are accepted as a citizen of heaven, as a member of the church. You are not a uh, second-class citizen. Here's your white stone. But it also has a name engraved on it. So it's kind of like that Tesserus. He's saying, look, this is a gift because we are friends. I love you. I died for you. And I want us to be close. Now, what's the, on the name? Well, Jesus says, on this stone will be engraved a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Some people say, oh, this is a name of Jesus, a different name of Jesus, a nickname of Jesus that only that person knows because everybody sees Jesus differently. Well, I, I don't think that's true. First of all, Jesus makes it clear throughout the scripture who he is, what his title is, who what his name is, and we're commanded to all seem the same way. I mean, we, you know, Jesus is the Lord. We're going to accept him the way he is. I don't have the right to change Jesus's personality and, and, and act like, no, this is the way my Jesus is. Your Jesus may be that way, but no, my Jesus is this way. No, there's only one Jesus, one Lord, one head of the church. And he, he is who he is. He is a warrior. He came as a servant to save us, and he'll come again as a warrior. He is the head of the church. He is sitting at God's right hand, and one day he will rule the nations on his earthly kingdom. All that's true, and it's not debatable, and we must accept Jesus for who he is. So I think the name on the stone 
is a nickname of us. He'll come to you one day in heaven and give you that stone. And it'll be a nickname just for you. That only you and him know. A pet name that your Lord, your God, your master, your heavenly father gives you just between you and him. And that's the beauty of God's grace. And that's why we have to be vigilant. We should never allow human priests and pastors or the Pope or anybody else, bishops, to set themselves up and say, we are the fathers of the church. Never allow that. Never call a priest father. Never call the Pope father. Don't have anything to do with that. Realize that the Pope is not the vicar of Christ. He is not the mediator between God and man. Christ is. And we can go to Christ directly because he is our Lord. He is our King. He is our Master. He is our Father. And he is our Savior. No man, but Jesus is. And if you keep that in mind, you'll realize you're not a second-class citizen. You can go to Jesus anytime you want to. And when you go and talk to him, or one day when we get to see him face-to-face, he'll look at you, and he'll call you by his nickname for you, his special pet name just for you. And he'll welcome you and hug you and say, I'm so glad you're back home. That's going to be a beautiful day. Well, I hope you enjoyed these truths from the Church of Pergamum. And I hope you'll stay vigilant to follow the truths of Scripture. And in the meantime, keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.